0: Okay, I'm not sure what's going on, but there's no bumpers or anything. So, I'm guessing I can just start. (laughs) So, here we go. I I did arrange for Mitzi to be on this week, but I don't think... All right, looks like we might as well just carry on. I'm not sure what went on. Everything's going bloop. (laughs) And then then my browser, Everything's crashing at once, and I've already been on, on... I've only been live for two minutes. All right. Looks like I've got a I've got a Mr. Raw here as well. Don't know. It's all a bit of a mystery. All right. Cool. At least I'm at least I'm here. There was no bumpers, and I got knocked off. So that's the technical issues. Just the usual technical issues. Uh, but all good. Right. So. Um, until my guest arrives, I'm just going to play something. Something light. And uh, not very conspiracy related, I think. Something entertaining, probably. Because that's the mood I'm in. All right, or maybe a little bit conspiratorial. I don't know. Let's have a look. I could just go Doctor Who, couldn't I? Or I could go... Alan Watts, maybe. Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment or two. Until I work out what I wanna do. Oh, it's just gonna crash again. It's looking quite ominous. Yeah, I I'll talk about me for a little bit until I work till this browser works out what it wants to do. So um it's this free association. It's a bit improvised this week at the moment, but uh, it will improve, hopefully. I'm not sure it will, quite honestly, but it might. Um, yeah, I'm here every week, every Saturday morning for the United States and afternoon for Britain and Europe. 4 o'clock my time, 11 o'clock Eastern time in the United States. Uh, I haven't really got a topic, so I'm just going to make this up as I go along, and hopefully it'll make some sense. Tell you what, let's go for John Campbell. Uh, John Campbell, so this is maybe a little bit conspiratorial, but from a fairly mainstream perspective, uh, John Campbell is a guy who lives about 50 miles away from here, and he's he's a health analyst. Uh, he comes from a from a very mainstream background, so he's uh, he's not gonna say things that, that you wanna hear about vaccines at any point, but he does make some good points about ivermectin, and he does talk about prevention. So he he's interested in, in my terms for that. So share my screen. Okay, let's try this again. All right, uh, one more time for look share screen. Firefox and then if we can get. YouTube running, then we're away to the races. So. I will be with you in about 10 seconds when YouTube decides it wants to do its thing. There seems to be a lot of protesting going on this afternoon. I keep seeing videos of protests. Yellow vests on the streets in France. I saw protests in Amsterdam. There was a protest in um, Melbourne, I think, as well. So lots of lots of protesting going on. There's a lot of that type of energy around at the moment. There's a lot of dis- disruptive and confrontational and oppositional energy around, which would prob- probably, if I was being an astrologer, I would say might have something to do with the eclipse that just happened. But I'm not quite in astrology mode yet. Again, I'm I'm going to hang fire on that for the time being. What I am going to do, though, I had a, com- a conversation with Lizzie in the chat room about my uh, my history as a crystal healer, so I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes at least and uh, see where that takes me. So, back in the day, and we're talking 23 nearly years ago, 22 years ago, 1999, Um Actually, it might be 2000. We're talking for the crystal healing, so in 1999, I signed up for a, a flower and crystal essences course with the College of Vibrational Medicine, which is an outfit in London that I, I met up with at a mind body spirit fair, uh, which seems to be two people primarily uh, who are involved in making flower essences. The equivalent of the back flower essences, but also with some extra things going on. And now I've got to remember the book. There was a book on vibrational medicine, and there was a book on flower and crystal essences. And I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote the flower essence book. They might come back to me, though. I'll, uh, I'll hang fire on that as well. So I'm just take, taking it nice and easy today. So this is 1999, Uh, that course lasted, was supposed to last two years, it actually fell apart after a year uh, because everybody seemed to decide that they didn't want to do it, I didn't want to do it anymore, at least two, three of the people that I knew that I was friendly with at the time on the course didn't really want to do it anymore and I would found something else to spend my money on by that point so uh, I left the Flower and Crystal Essences course and I signed up for a crystal light energy healing course uh, with a woman called Karen Taylor who was a professional professional crystal healer at the time and there, were, there, there are, still aren't many of those around but she was making a living doing uh, crystal healing and running courses and I'm running tarot courses as well. So all that type of new age, kind of divination and healing stuff. That's what I got into when I left when I left my job at Reuters. I had a little bit of money in the bank, which always helps. And uh, I was quite relaxed about spending it at the time because I because I had money. And when I've got money, I'm I'm fairly relaxed about spending it which is why most of the time I don't have money, probably. Um, yeah, so Karen was cool, though. I like Karen. She's a really nice woman. And uh, so the, it was a three-level course. I did two levels out of three on that course. I've got, a, I've got a history of backing out of courses. That's one of the things that I've done over and over again is start start things and then I never quite get to the end of them. I seem to just either get bored or something else comes up or I run out of money sometimes as well and that that stops me from doing courses but quite a lot of the time it's me. It's me going, right, this was a good idea at the time but it's not what I want to do now. Six months later or nine months later or whatever. Which is a little bit self-indulgent, I know. But it's how I I was at the time. and still how I am to some extent. Although mainly now I'm just teaching myself anything I want to know about I just teach myself so I don't really pay people to teach me anything anymore I just do a bit of research and work it out myself but it was a but the point of the conversation with Lizzie is it was a a crystal light energy healing course that was based on techniques that Karen, Karen was claiming came from Egypt and Atlantis And I'm a little bit cautious about saying they actually did come from Egypt and Atlantis because I found a book with all of the the crystal layouts in it that she was using. So I think she was just getting them from a book and and adapting them and adding some Egyptian symbolism to them and adding some Atlantean symbolism to them to make them a bit more glittery and interesting. So it was more of a marketing thing, I think, than anything else. But there might have been something to it. I certainly had uh, had one experience in there that I'll never forget, which was a meditation to to go back a few lifetimes. And uh, it wasn't really a crystal healing thing; it was just it was a meditation and a bit of visualization. And one of the one of the points in that, I, I, she asked me, she asked us to look down at, at our feet to see who we were, and I had webbed feet i'm like what on earth is going on here it's like i was just like i wasn't human i know i wasn't human but it but i felt like i was partly human and uh it was a very strange experience i got very emotional over that for some, for whatever reason but uh so it released something that was sitting there waiting to be released i never quite got to got to the bottom of it but it was uh it was a webbed, webbed feet experience that I'll never forget. And for a for a meditation on a on a Tuesday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon or whatever it was, it had a very profound impact for quite a while. And uh, yeah, I, I was grateful for that course. But but then after after two levels of it, I couldn't really work out where I was going to go, where I was going to take it. It seemed like it was it was more personal healing than healing for clients, so I kind of I kind of let it go, and that was what would be that would be the whole. So that would be 2000, pretty much. And then in 2001, I went to New Zealand for four months. Well, New Zealand and Australia. So, oh, and the, the way I was working at that particular point. Was uh, was was very rooted in kind of old shamanic, um, Atlantean, for want of a better word, type of energy. It was it was grids and geometrics, and um, kind of soul retrieval type stuff. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. So the the crystal healing course was, was a was one long soul retrieval for me. And then when I got to when I got to New Zealand, I had this thing in my head to do a a meditation in a cave on the beach at a a place on the North Island. And uh, so so I, I went down, I was fairly casual about it, but I had three days in this particular place and I went down on the first night and did first or second night and did my meditation, sat for about an hour. And uh, asked for a kind of soul a kind of soul retrieval on a galactic level. That's kind of what I was doing at the time in my head. I pulled back all the different aspects of me that were that were scattered all through the all through the galaxy. so and i could I could sense the opening up that was going on. And I could feel parts of me coming back. So, But that was the intention of the meditation that was doing, the 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 intention of the visualization. So I would feel it because I've I've hypnotized myself into feeling it. So it makes sense that that I would feel it in that way. So how much of these things is hypnosis and how much of it is shamanism and how much of it is actual soul retrieval? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I just do what's in my head to do. I literally, I always have. It's like whatever's in front of me or whatever's in my head to do is what I do, and I don't think too hard about it. It gets me into trouble, but uh, but it's usually fun. It's usually quite creative in in my own little way. I'm quite creative with my meditations and my visualizations. And I, I got quite creative with crystal healing layouts at one point as well. I might go back to them at some point. Because I could do crystal healing layouts on Zoom, potentially. And I'll, I'll have to get some crystals. So I'll have to get some gemstones and some some stones and some quartz. Some hematite. Uh, but that's that's not that difficult to do. I can get, I can get a little bit. To a, 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 I'll kind of adapt the layouts that I used to do so that the layouts in front of me on the floor connect via zoom and then the energy goes through the interwebs to wherever it needs to go. That's the principle of it. So a distance crystal healing it could be a thing in the future. So I feel like I might want to go back to that. I'm going back to the, the astrology side of things a little bit as well. So I'm kind of revisiting all these things. But I found Reiki and astrology to be mighty useful, mighty good. So I want to do that as well for people. I did some sessions for clients. A lot of it was for me. But I did do some sessions for clients that are timed with the astrology. And they were very good sessions so i want to see that and do that as well over that would be over zoom or skype i suppose so let me see if Mitzi's around but it's, it's half past the hour so i'll just remind everybody that rev radio is listener supported so if you do have any spare change floating around that you want to find a home for this might be the place for it. Right, I'm going to see if I can find John Campbell again. In the depths of YouTube, I should just search for him? Easy, really? That would be easier. Wouldn't it? All right. This is, this is the vitamin D. Video that he did a few days ago. I'll, I'll play about half. I'll play 20 minutes of it. It's a 40 minute video. And you'll get the idea of who John Campbell is from
1: it. Welcome back. It's still Wednesday, the 17th of November. A little more detail on this paper we've been looking at here that's showing that uh, higher levels of vitamin D in the blood could be protective against severe illness and uh, death and uh, some pretty convincing data, really. Now, before we get down to this. One of the headlines on the last video was that these paper authors are saying that we need higher levels of vitamin D when we don't get the sunshine, 4,000 to to 10,000 international units of vitamin D per day extra if you live in the north of England like me and you're not getting any sun. And that should be taken with 200 micrograms of vitamin K2 is what these authors are suggesting. Now, I've just been reading some of your comments on the first part of the video. And a lot of people, you, uh, a lot of people have said, well, there's no money in vitamin D. It's generic. You can make you can make it really cheaply. It's um, it's not a problem. Um, you can't really sell it and make a lot of money on it. Therefore, pharmaceutical companies probably wouldn't be too interested in running expensive trials on it, which is probably true. But you have so others have said we do need an interventional trial and we do. And really, the question has to be asked is why have we not had? a large scale interventional trial on something which is potentially so efficacious and so cheap. Both uh, both quite interesting questions, to be quite honest. So this is the paper. We're going to carry on looking at it now. And some pretty interesting things about general health here as well as specifically COVID. Now, they point out deficiency of vitamin D limits the performance of uh, systems in the body resulting in, increased spread of the diseases of civilization now these are diseases like obesity um, high blood pressure diabetes and again these do seem to be more common in areas where there's low vitamin d certainly vitamin d deficiency can lead to high blood pressure and we know that that is a significant COVID risk for example so a lot of diseases of civilization cancer of the colon ischemic heart disease a lot of these do seem to be related to low levels of vitamin d and also reduced protection against infection and these papers at this paper saying reduced effectiveness of the vaccine now i've been asked this an awful lot we know that uh, low levels of vitamin d mean that the immune system doesn't work as well does that mean the vaccine doesn't work as well and that is this is saying yes that if people do have low vet levels of vitamin d and they're vaccinated, then the vaccine probably won't work as well. They won't generate such a good immune response. So another reason, another reason to have good levels of vitamin D. Now, COVID fatality rates, COVID fatality rates correlate with the elderly who might live in a facility where they don't get out very much. Uh, The elderly do tend to stay at home a lot. They don't get the sunlight. Therefore, they are lower in vitamin D. And we know from large scale epidemiological studies that older people are lower in vitamin D, as are people with dark colored skins. Because the darker the color of the skin, the more slowly you will make vitamin D. And we know that people with darker colored skins living in a particular latitude in North America or north of England or wherever it is, darker colored skins, people do have lower levels of vitamin D. Um, comorbidities well COVID fatalities correlate with comorbidities but there again as we've just noticed a lot of comorbidities correlate with low levels of vitamin D so what is the absolute prime cause then of course vitamin D levels go way down in winter when we don't make the sun, when someone doesn't make the vitamin D in the skin and um, when do we get more colds and influenza and COVID outbreaks it's in it's in it's in winter time of course so blood levels of 20 nanograms a mil that's 50 nanomoles a litre it's that's that 20 nanograms a mil is exactly the same as 50 nanomoles a litre sufficient to stop osteomalacia now osteomalacia is the softening of bones now what used to happen particularly in children was the bones were soft and especially the weight-bearing bones, they would become bent and they would get bent legs, bent long bones, bow-legged we used to call this. And uh, that was caused by the, um, the the lack of vitamin D, meaning that the bones were um, uh, the bones had osteomalacia. But you can prevent rickets with just a, a relatively low level, 20 nanograms per mill is enough to prevent rickets. But what we're saying here is that To prevent other things, you need much higher levels. So rickets is protected first before we're protected from other things. These authors are saying it's preferable to have 40 to 60 nanograms per mil. That's 100 to 150 nanomoles per liter. And they're also saying that to get those kind of levels, you need to be taking six to 10,000 units of vitamin D per day to get up to those kind of levels because we're not making it from the sunshine. We're not out in the sunshine all day. Now there's vitamin D receptors now, definitely in bone, of course, but also in the intestine, so we know, for example, that low levels of vitamin D are correlated with higher levels of um, colon cancer. So these vitamin D receptors are actually all over the body. The, The activated form of vitamin D is a widespread hormone acting on many different parts of the body Um, vitamin d receptors in the pancreas again low levels of vitamin d are associated with prostate cancer and people that have had prostate cancer seem to do better if we bunk up their levels of vitamin d such a simple intervention why isn't this being done it's so simple to do and immune system cells all seem to have vitamin d receptors all of them and vitamin d is also a powerful epigenetic regulator now Epigenetics is kind of complicated, but what what epigenetics means is that we're born with a certain set of genes. But the way that we live, we can't change that set of genes that you're born with. That's determined at the moment that the sperm met the egg when you're a zygote at the point of conception. That can't be changed from that point on. But the, the genes which are switched on and off are influenced by the environment in the uterus and the environment after uterus when you're born in other words and and these are epigenetic factors so epigenetics is the way genes are kind of turned on and off and vitamin d is important to turn on good genes is what this is saying it's an important epigenetic regulator influencing more than two and a half thousand genes now this is incredible active in any one human being you've probably got about twenty-one thousand active genes it was a very big surprise when we found out there were so few active genes. We had thought there was at least 100,000 active genes in people. But with the advert of the Human Genome Project, we now know it's only about 21,000 genes. So we see about 10% or more, more than 10% of genes require vitamin D for their normal activation. The hormonal form of vitamin D, which is derived from the vitamin D from the diet and from the sunlight. This is how important this is, because, of course, we are tropical creatures we are are evolved designed for the uh, to live in the sunshine and evidence of that coming up as well Um, so um, genetics of course it's mutations that cause cancer so there's increased cancer risk diabetes mellitus especially type 1 the autoimmune diabetes mellitus is associated with low levels of vitamin d but probably diabetes 2 as well definitely acute respiratory tract infections are more common in low vitamin d and viral lung infections that cause acute respiratory distress syndrome particularly so way be, way before COVID it was known that um, people are more likely to develop acute respiratory distress syndrome where the alveoli feel that were fluid which is the big problem in COVID of course it was known that people with high levels of vitamin D are protected against that regardless of the vi- viral cause of that illness so this this is not particularly new. Chronic inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, low vitamin D is a problem. Autoimmune diseases like thyroid disease, diabetes mellitus, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. All of these are more of a problem in low levels of vitamin D and multiple sclerosis is a big one now. I mean multiple sclerosis we've always known that it's less common near the equator or especially if people were brought up near the equator and now hundreds of people have written to me saying that they are so much better Uh, their multiple sclerosis is so much better now they're taking comparatively high doses of vitamin D So obviously, it would have been better to take it from childhood and probably hopefully prevent the vitamin, the the, the vitamin, the the, the lack of vitamin D deficiency would prevent the multiple sclerosis. But that's too late now. But if the multiple sclerosis is already there, the vitamin D does seem to um, help. It's an immunomodulatory properties. It's an immunomodulator. In other words, if there's not enough immunity, vitamin D will turn immunity up. If there's too much immunity causing inflammation, vitamin D will turn it down. It's like a kind of homeostasis. We don't want too much immunity causing inflammation. We don't want not enough, meaning we get rampant infections. And vitamin D just seems to modulate that. It almost brings about a homeostasis of the immune response, which, of course, is exactly what we want. And it regulates the innate and adaptive immune system. So innate immunity acting against a wide variety of organisms, adaptive immune system, the acquired immune system, which results in cellular and humoral immunity, as we looked at before. And particularly on that, it's now clear that there's vitamin D receptors in all, in all of the immune cells, it would appear. Certainly, we can say for sure, There's vitamin D receptors in the monocytes, which migrate into the tissues and become the macrophages. Absolutely vital immune cell, the big eaters. And the macrophages also release a full range of cytokines that coordinate the immune response and the inflammatory response. And indeed, to a large extent, the wound healing response as well. The T cells, the T lymphocytes, the B cells, the B lymphocytes, so the T uh, cytotoxic cells that will destroy virally infected cells. Uh, the T helper cells, which will stimulate the B cells. And it's the B cells that produce the antibodies. And all these depend on vitamin D activating receptors within the cells. Otherwise, they're not going to work properly. The natural killer, the NK cells, these are the large lymphocytes that will again kill virally infected cells and kill cancer-infected inflect- cells and the dendritic cells which actually derive from the monocytes these dendritic cells that they've got d- dendrites are branchy so the kind of branch cells like that in the tissues and what, what they are is they're antigen presenting cells so if there's a virus or something floating past it's likely to come into contact with a, the dendritic arm of these dendritic cells and they will then go to the lymph nodes and stimulate the immune response so that, that that would be the antigen so these are antigen presenting cells absolutely vital for the immune response and that, that, that they need vitamin d to to function so moving on to supplements of vitamin d um now without calcium supplementation this is where it gets a bit complicated but we'll go through it. it is well worth sticking with without calcium supplication uh, without calcium supplementation in other words if you're not giving additional calcium even high vitamin D3 supplement does not cause vascular calcification. So we, if that's the blood vessel there with its walls, we don't want calcium going into the walls of the blood vessel because they would become hard. This does happen, it's called drain pipe arteries. They, they become hard and inflexible like drain pipes and look like drain pipes on x-rays. We don't want that calcification. But what this paper is saying is that if we don't give calcium supplements, even very high levels of vitamin D does not cause this. Now, it seems that we might have been giving too much calcium for a long period of time. So these are my my dad's uh, calcium tablets here. Uh, There's there's different brands available. I mean, they're absolutely huge things. I I think they contain about a relatively small amount of vitamin D. From memory, I think it might be... um, as low as 400 uh, micrograms of vitamin d and they contain about a gram, a gram and a half of calcium so all of this is nearly all uh, nearly all calcium they're like huge things i mean look at that i mean you couldn't you couldn't swallow that you just have to suck them that's why they're lemon flavored well i wouldn't eat this now i just taste a lemon actually but i wouldn't take it anyway because it's just i don't need the calcium have we been giving people far too much calcium well these tablets are just huge maybe we have because what what this is saying is that um we're not going to get this arterial calcification um, as long as the vitamin d is given without the supplementary calcium so it looks like we might have been giving too much calcium because the body is very calcium thrifty if you've got calcium it won't start passing it out in the urine it's going to conserve calcium Um, if your calcium levels are at all low, it certainly can conserve calcium. Vitamin D3 supplementation in the range of 4,000 to 10,000 international units. Now, that's the equivalent of 100 to 250 micrograms. I needed to generate this optimum level, which they're saying is 40 to 60 nanograms of vitamin D in the blood, which is 100 to 150 nanomoles per litre. So basically, they're saying you need quite large amounts between 4,000 and 10,000 international units per day to keep your blood levels up at this nice high level that's needed. Now, more more than 20 um, nanograms per mil is enough to prevent rickets. But it seems that these much and, and, and that's what that's what the advice has been given on enough to prevent rickets. But now we know that vitamin D is evolved in so many other things. We can now say, with some confidence, on this paper, that this higher range is, is necessary. And of course, in winter, we simply won't make it. And what this paper is saying is that these higher doses, the four to ten thousand units. M- m- remember, we tapped into an email uh, last year, and Anthony Fauci said he was taking six thousand units a day, and he's a relatively small guy. So, you know, a bigger guy might need ten thousand. That is that is quite quite conceivable. Um, pity it wasn't. Uh, pushed out on the general population as much as we would have liked it to have been, but at least he was uh, helping his own health by taking 6,000 units a day, which would be good. Anyway, um, the, the thing that people haven't known about much in the past is the role of vitamin K2. Now, direct quote from this paper, so taking these higher doses, four to 10,000 units of vitamin D a day, has been shown to be completely safe when combined with approximately 200 micrograms of vitamin K2, is what this paper says. Direct quote. Now, of course, I can't tell you what to take. We're discussing this paper for academic reasons, but uh, that's interesting. So, myself, vitamin K2, of course, is uh, fat soluble. So, the fat soluble vitamins are ADEC, A, D, E, and K. Now, I am not advertising any brands, but um, th- this is just a vitamin K2. I got it's 600 microgram dose. Um, vitamin K is available for many other manufacturers I do not get any uh, I don't get any uh, money from any any pharmaceutical people uh, for for advertising their drugs but that's 600 micrograms so I'm I'm taking one of those a week I'm taking an extra 600 micrograms of K2 a week and the idea with that is that the vitamin K2 will take the calcium instead of it high calcium levels going into your blood uh, the high calcium levels will go into your bone uh, or rather, rather they won't go from your blood into your tissues because it's okay sort of being in the blood but you don't want it to go into the tissues you don't want calcified blood vessels but you do want calcified bones of course otherwise you're going to get soft bones and osteoporosis which is, is lack of bone mass which of course is a huge problem so that's what this these uh, authors are, are saying and it, really it is, it is worth t- taking time to read this paper because it's absolutely excellent it's quite readable um, it's not a simple read, but it's not the non-scientist can read this and, and understand it. It is um it is a very comprehensible piece of work, and, and in my view, a very thorough piece of work. Which is, of course, why I brought it to you. So the authors of this paper are saying that four to ten thousand units of vitamin D a day in winter. That's one hundred to twenty-five micrograms, a uh, hundred micrograms two hundred fifty micrograms, rather. So, so like th- these again, I. I, I absolutely promise i'm not making any money advertising these these are, these are just some i've been using myself these are 25 micrograms of uh, vitamin uh, vitamin d 25 micrograms and 25 micrograms it is a thousand international units so so this is saying take take four to ten of these uh, a day Th- this would be saying according to this so that's that's actually quite a few tablets isn't it that's like a you know it's like a it's kind of what's that one two three four five six seven so it's easily saying you could take those seven to give you seven thousand uh, international units a day as i say i i can't prescribe for you um i'm only telling you what this paper says for for academic interest so um there you go taking it with the vitamin k2 but you see if you take if you, well, what's certainly true is if, if you've got high levels of vitamin d in the blood That's going to increase the amount of calcium that's absorbed from the uh, gastrointestinal tract. And if you're eating a bit of cheese and drinking some milk, then you're going to be getting quite a bit of calcium. You know, the idea that you need these huge extra ones uh, may turn out to be um, not quite what was needed. New knowledge will probably demonstrate that in the future. Um, And this paper does comment again, direct quote. So this knowledge about... uh, about the uh, large doses of calcium, but you need the vitamin D and the vitamin K2 in preference. And you can take the large doses of vitamin D as long as you take a little bit of vitamin K2. It's saying this knowledge is still not widespread in the medical community. And obsolete, obsolete warnings about the risk of vitamin D3 overdose, unfortunately, are still commonly circulating, even amongst doctors. Now, doctors these days are very uh, guideline-driven, and it can take government guidelines uh, an awful long time to um, to change. I remember we had this when the uh, when the um, the, the Helicobacter pylori eradication therapy first came out. It took doctors ages to start eradicating Helicobacter pylori. I was aware of it for about 1991, and it wasn't being commonly done really until the late 90s. Such a pity there's such a, a delay on these things. Um, now, um, acute was bider-
0: Okay, that's John Campbell on YouTube, and if you search for for John Campbell's channel, and put vitamin D in the search you'll find that video. It's, uh, it's 40 minutes, I've played 20 minutes of it. I think he's made his point. So that's probably enough of that. And uh, I may do a, a JFK assassination show next week. I haven't made my mind up yet. Uh, I could, could have done it this week really, but I haven't prepped anything really. So next week, is that's possible and uh, i'm going to take things easy from now until christmas i'm not going to put a huge amount of work in so it's going to be fairly casual Um, i'll find a couple of good videos and we'll just play them i found there was a video i watched ages ago which suggested that uh, one of the security staff had accidentally shot him from behind he was in the car behind and it had all been covered up by the secret service so if i can find that one again I'll play some of that uh, because that's a possibility. I think that's a fairly credible theory. Uh, There are other people who think that there were six or seven or eight government all lined up from different countries and from different special interest groups in the States, all lined up, just waiting to take a pot shot. And that's potentially also possible. Uh, But we would probably have noticed by now so I think the I think the accidental shooting by the Secret Service is plausible and uh, they wouldn't want it getting out that he was shot by accident so that would explain the cover-up that went on I don't know I don't know it's, it's also possible that the the mob and the CIA were involved, it's possible that Mossad was involved it's possible that all sorts of things were happening in the background that I'm not aware of so I'm going to do a little bit of research and I'll find a half decent video for next week probably on the JFK assassination and uh, if, I, if I come up with anything in between I'll post it on the podcast uh, my, podpa- my my podcast is at Podbean Uh, It's called Free Association Podcast Radio Show and Roundtable. And you can find it anywhere that you find podcasts normally. It's on Spotify, it's on Player FM, it's on Google Podcasts, all of those types of places you can find it. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, My name on Twitter is Dennis Barker. It's Dennis, D-E-N-N-I-S, B-A-R-K-E-R. And uh, as well as that, there's a radio station set up as well at radioprojects.co.uk, which has got some material on it. So I'm gonna change up the material as well this week, I think, ready for the winter. It seems to, to go in cycles. So the winter has one type of material, one type of content, and then I change it for the summer. In probably April time, I, I changed it this year. So I'm going to keep to that cycle. Uh, the, radio, the radio station's been doing all right. I got 500 listeners one, one month, which I thought was pretty good. On the podcast, it's doing all right. I'm up to 5,000 downloads now on the podcast as well. So that's a victory. I've got a, got, we've got up to 102 subscribers and 5,000 downloads. So I'm pretty happy with what's going on with all of that. All in all, I got a tax rebate this week as well, which means I've got a little bit of money to spend. Uh, I can buy a PC, which will ease some of the pressure on the laptop, and uh, hopefully make these things run a little bit more smoothly than they do at the moment. But uh, all technical issues aside, it's been a pretty reasonable show, I think. I like John Campbell. He's got a a lot of good things to say, and uh, he's very easy to understand. Even though he's in favour of vaccines, and he's got a, he's, I still think he's got a lot of good things to say. I think the, the more we know what the mainstream's saying, the more we encounter it. And people who've worked in medicine for years are not going to become anti-vaxxers overnight. They're going to need time. There's a lot of there's a lot of things going on inside of people's heads to move from being mainstream to being anti. And that doesn't doesn't happen overnight. Anyway, that's pretty much it for me. I'll be back on Tuesday with the Roundtable at 4 o'clock in the morning Eastern time on Tuesday morning. And uh, I'll be back again here on Saturday at 11 a.m. next week on Studio B. Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time.